Today, we're going to talk about building a resilient marriage or resilient relationship. You know, we've been talking on rich in relationship for the last few weeks. Actually, last week we talked about the relationship between resilience and intimacy, and that the two have a lot of synchronicity. And the reason is, in order to have a resilient marriage, there's a certain level of intimacy that needs to be accomplished or achieved. And also at the same time, resilience is an integral part of having an intimate marriage. So how are we gonna attack this today? What resilience and intimacy have in common, let's start there, is that each individual in the relationship needs to have strong self-awareness and strong self-knowledge and strong self-acceptance. That's a lot of self for a relationship. I think in a relationship also, there needs to be strong awareness and acceptance of the other person. What does that mean? What does it mean, acceptance? Acceptance often means to the couples that I work with that they tolerate things that they don't like in the other person. And sometimes they tolerate it only for so long and that's when the problems start. They're like, I am done with this baloney. I am done with this characteristic of this person. I'm not talking about behaviors. I'm talking about specific character characteristics. A judgment comes into place of a character characteristic of the other person. I'm not talking about infidelity, for example. I'm talking about how they are, things that annoy each other about one another. And what we know about life is that the world is our mirror. What does that mean that the world is our mirror? It means that we can't identify something outside of us unless it's inside of us. I mean, think about it. When something is completely alien to us, when we look at it and do not understand what it is at all, it's because it is not within us. And generally, when we do come to understand something, as outside of us, it's because we start to see how it fits within our concept of self. The implication of this is that anything that we don't like in another human being is something that we don't like in ourself. The implication of this also, big picture, is there's nothing that another human being has done that I am not capable of. How is that true? Because I can't recognize it in someone else, sorry, I'm moving the camera around, if it doesn't already exist within me. That means Adolf Hitler, me. Um, that's what's that, that's, we've covered mass murder. Uh, lying, cheating, whoring, thieving, that's me. Do I act that way? No, but it is within me. It's within me because I can recognize it. I can recognize it, I can identify it, and I can judge it. And when I judge it, I judge it not only within, my, within the other person, but also within myself. And so many marriages hit the rocks because partners start saying, she is such a, and he is such a. And those things may be true. By the way, those things may be true about the other person. They may really be whatever you judge them to be, but just get that that lives within you also. And if it's triggering you, 
if you're triggered by what you see in another person, if there's something you see in another person that is truly abhorrent, particularly if it's your partner, then the chances are you've made some judgment about a place in yourself as well. What does that mean? That means that very often the things that we, that show up between us in a relationship are coming from us. Now that doesn't mean that other people aren't abusive. It doesn't mean that other people aren't angry and it doesn't mean that other people don't act out. But it does mean that when we get angry and make judgment, it has as much to do with ourselves as the other person. Am I making sense? Is this making sense to you? Self-acceptance in this context means accepting that we are all as base and low as anyone else. That's, and that's a tough concept to absorb. But when we absorb that concept, that we are as awful as anyone else on the planet, we also open up the possibility that we are as great as anyone else on the planet. Think of all those people that you admire, the people that you most aspire to be like. If you can recognize those qualities in them, it's because you can recognize those qualities in yourself. So it means if you are, uh, if you see God in a certain way, let's go to a, the most extreme thing, and you see uh, God as being limitless love, and you recognize the possibility of limitless love, then that possibility exists within you as well. But the second that we slip into judgment, we cut ourselves off not only from what's below, but from what's above. The possibility. I'm talking about possibility here. I'm not talking about what actually, in behaviorally, what actually is. All right, so in our marriage, when we do that, we're literally putting barriers between us and the other person. And that is a barrier to intimacy. And it makes the marriage itself less resilient. So resilient, intimacy is the quality of two people revealing themselves to one another. Resilience in a relationship is the ability of the relationship to survive trauma. Either uh, the trauma of, let's say, COVID-19, which is going on right now, or the trauma of the death of a loved one, or any trauma that you can imagine. A strong marriage a resilient marriage can survive and thrive in trauma. And this is all about how do we build a resilient marriage to thrive in trauma. So the first step has to do with acceptance, acceptance of all your dirt and all the other person's dirt. That's part one, acceptance. And it's also acceptance of all your possibility, like all the greatness that you're po that's possible for you. And the other person's possibility, I mean, when you think about what it was like to be in love, when you fell in love, that person was the answer to all your problems. That person was, you saw them for who they could be, and they saw you for who you could be. You felt better when you were with them because they saw you for someone you didn't see yourself as. And it was an amazing, amazing experience. And then falling in love is a limited experience, but you can still have the space within you to recognize that that person that you saw them as and that person that they see you as still is possible and exists. And when we're in love, what happens is a lot of our judgment is put on hold. Or maybe our judgment 
goes through a filter. I have a client who refers to the Quintiniera effect, she calls it, uh, which is, Quintiniera is a 16-year-old party in Latino cultures. But when you're 16, everything is glowing and wonderful and perfect, or it's awful and horrible. And she says uh, that falling in love is, she sees as being the Quintiniera effect, which I thought, I think is kind of funny and kind of cute and kind of true. But we can have a mature version of that. We don't have to be 16. We can be 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, and still see the glory of that other person, the possibility that exists within them and vice versa. And that is kind of the next piece in resilience. So the first piece in resilience is self-acceptance and self-knowledge. And the second piece in resilience is seeing the uniqueness, like the strengths and uniqueness of yourself. Part of, if you're a resilient individual, see the strength and uniqueness of yourself. It's also seeing the strength and uniqueness of your partner. Like what makes them, what's, out of the combination of your cultural background, your family background, your strengths, your innate abilities and your, and your possible uh, potential, out of all those things put together, what makes you unique and what is your unique fit in this world? And I guarantee you, you have a unique fit in this world. Everyone does. We're all genetically unique, except in the case of twins. And what makes twins different is that they had separate influences once they get outside of their family. So they evolve and change differently uh, once they come apart. If you've ever met twins who are in their 80s, for example, they are far more distinct from one another than twins who are in their 20s. And it's because they've spent years and years and years with different influences in their life and they've chosen different paths, even though genetically, I'm talking about genetically uh, identical twins, even though they're, they're identical twins, they've evolved in different directions. And that's, their, so their possibility, their, their unique fit in the world has evolved in different directions. They may be similar because they come from the same family background and cultural background and genetic background, but they're delineated in the choices that they've made in life and what they've evolved in themselves. And they are therefore unique fits in the world and they have a unique place in the world and each one of us has a unique place in the world. So the second leg of, of a resilient marriage is seeing your unique place in the world, your purpose and your partner's purpose and supporting one another in your unique purpose. And that me sometimes means setting aside your unique purpose to support their unique purpose and vice versa, depending on where you are in your lives. You know, when I changed, three years ago, I made a decision that the work that I was doing was not a good fit for me anymore. At one point in my life, it seemed like a really good fit. But I made a decision that there was there was a different purpose, which is what I do now. I work helping people in their marriages and their relationships, or I help people transform their relationships so they work better, whatever that looks like for them. And uh, three years ago, I pivoted there, and my wife supported me unconditionally. Well, was it unconditionally? The condition was that I continued to be the loving, supportive husband that I had been, that I continue to contribute to the family in any way possible, even if I didn't have the financial means. And she patiently supported our family as my contribution went from this to this. 
for, for a couple of years there, she really had my back and she worked hard to do that. And I honor that in her. And similarly though, um, 20 years earlier, when she decided she wanted to go from being a stay at home mother to returning to her law practice, I supported the family and supported her in returning to her law practice. It's a give and take. I, you know, we, we, we give freely to one another because we see who we can be and we want them to be. Uh, she has a, we both have practices like uh, I practice martial arts, she rides, and both of those things interrupt and interfere with our relationship in some ways. Our individual practices and goals that develop who we are. But we make sacrifices for each other's practices because we get that it's important to who they are. We accept who they are. It's part of their unique development. We support that unique development. And in doing that, our marriage is more resilient as a result. And does it happen perfectly without resentment? From time to time, I'm like, oh my God, you know, this horse thing that she does is expensive. Why are we spending so much money? Um, and from time to time, she says, oh, this martial arts thing's absurd. Why are you getting up at five o'clock in the morning to go to beach training? But we make sacrifices for one another and that makes the marriage more resilient. And then there's this third thing that I'm just thinking about, which is the unique place of the marriage. The marriage has a life of its own. It's an, it has an identity of its own, almost like a corporation. The marriage is the composite of our hopes and dreams and everything that we put into it and everything that our children see our relationship as being and that our friends see as our relationship and, as being. That marriage, that union, that covenant has a unique purpose as well a place in the world, a way that it makes a difference. We have a presence in the community that we live in as a couple that is in some ways independent and separate from us as individuals. And recognizing and accepting the, exist the, the life of that, I'm gonna go back to the self-acceptance and, and self-knowledge, knowing what our marriage is and stands for and represents in terms of values and principles, and accepting what it is and accepting the weaknesses of it too. We definitely have weaknesses in our marriage, no doubt about it. Accepting those things and working on those weaknesses um, and accepting and also seeing that place that are, as a couple that we have within our communities, with our work spheres and with the people that we interact with as a couple, these are like two very firm legs of a resilient marriage. And the process of doing those two things, you know, knowing ourselves, into, as knowing ourselves, knowing one another, and knowing who we are as a couple. Intimacy is a very deep part of that. We can't really know each other if we don't really let each other in. We can't really know each other if we don't accept one another. Let's go back to the intimacy legs for a second. We can't, if there isn't trust, then the marriage is much, much weaker. If I'm worrying about where is she going when she's going to follow her, when she's going to horseback ride, when she's going to a horse show, if I'm worrying, well, what is she doing? Why does she spend so much time with that young trainer? And if I go to that place, if I lose trust there, it damages the relationship. But if I trust and have confidence in our bond, then it's stronger for it. Or if she wonders, is he really going to teach kids karate right now? or is he off with someone else? It weakens the marriage. 
and damages it. Now, if there are indications that something is going on, then that distrust may be founded. But we have not given one another any indication that the distrust is found, that distrust would be founded. And so over time, our confidence and faith in one another has grown. Though, I mean, full disclosure, I don't know, she's never fessed it up to me, but I will fess to you that there were times where I really was wondering about that trainer, who's now a friend of mine, and I was really wondering about where she was going and why she spent so, time, so much time away sometimes. And today I just understand it's something she needs to do for herself and that it's, and that I support it because that's, I support her as an individual and our marriage is more resilient as a result. So that's trust, knowing ourselves, trust, um, communication. Communication really key in building intimacy. We make sure now that we have dinner together, like a date night out once a week. Um, during COVID that suffered some, but we, we also make, made sure in COVID we developed that we had breakfast together without anyone else once a week uh, to make up for dinner. And now that we can go out again, we have dinner and breakfast and we make sure once a week, Monday breakfast, Wednesday dinner. And so we have those special times of communication together. And so I encourage you to build lines of time for uninterrupted communication, time without children, time without family, and time without phones. Put those phones aside to have clear lines of communication while you break bread. There is something about breaking bread and communicating together that is vital. Trust, communication, uh, self-knowledge, something's missing in my intimacy matrix. We'll come back to it. So let's flip back to resilient, uh, building a resilient marriage. So I gave you the first two legs, which is self-knowledge and awareness of the, of the marriage and acceptance. Acceptance of one another's needs, one another's needs, acceptance of the marriage's needs, I think is what we talked about there in the communication piece. The marriage has needs to be nurtured itself. Um, and uh, part of the communication also is communication about finances and making sure that both people are fully aware of the financial health of the relationship. Um, are we setting aside money for retirement? Are we spending less than we're earning? Or are we spending more than we're earning? And if we're spending more than we're earning, what are we gonna do about it? Uh, are, have we set aside money for our ch children's college, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's an important part of marital communication. So every year we, review our finances and look at how much what's our did we stay within our spending plan or budget if we exceeded it why do we need to reevaluate that etc cetera, etc cetera. 40 percent of all divorce is driven by financial disagreement and so it's so important that we that we all focus on the financial side of our relationships okay so the third leg of resilience is practices. It's really the fourth leg. I kind of mauled this, this a little bit. The first leg is self-awareness and self-acceptance. The second leg is self-knowledge uh, and, and uh, knowledge of our uniqueness and our needs, which I talked about, but I talked about it as kind of a hybrid of the, of of our place in the world and self-awareness. And the third leg of resilience is our knowing our unique place in the world, our mission, our purpose. So uh, the, those three things 
are actually separate, though I've talked about them kind of fluently as one. And the fourth part is practices. And we've touched on practices a little bit. Practices are habits that we have. So as individuals, we have certain habits we need to maintain for our own health and well-being, right? I hope. Like uh, regular exercise and eating and uh, very much like our family budget, making sure that our calories coming in are at least equal to the calories that we're burning. Uh, or if we're feeling a little chunky, maybe we want our calories coming in to be less than the calories that we're burning or that we're burning more calories than we're consuming. We sort of there's self-care on that level. There's uh, mental, emotional, and spiritual well-being. So mindfulness practices, prayer, meditation, really important to self-care. And marriage, uh, marriage needs similar habits. Uh, if you are of a congruent spiritual background, then very often you can pray and meditate together. If you're not, then you may do it separately. Uh, we talked about communication kind of as a piece of intimacy and as a piece of resilience, a habit of communication. We talked about a habit of monitoring, uh, spending in the relationship. You know, these are all habits that we develop. Resilience in a marriage is also built by habit of reviewing a vision for the marriage. When we first get married, we have very idealistic visions for our marriage based on being in love and all that good stuff. Oh, I love you so much. I'm going to be your partner forever. Da, da, da. And kids happen. And very often we start to lose sight of our, our vision, uh, our shared vision. And that's when marriages come apart. And so being in the habit of reviewing that and talking about it and tweaking it is so important. Uh, an example from my own life is we are entering into the empty nest forward slash grandchild stage of our marriage. And a shared vision that we have is a place where our children feel free to go on vacation that we share with them, a place that's big enough. It's not our home, but we can all spend time together. And where when they get married and start having children, they feel free to bring their children and their spouses there. And so that's something that we are tweaking and evolving and working with our children where they're enrolled in this idea. We work on it. We work on this shared vision together, all of us talking about it and evolving it. And eventually it will come to fruition. At this point, you know, we're setting aside a money, setting aside money for that in the hopes that in three to five years, we can make that, 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 we can make that that vision will be born right now it's it's gestating so that's an example of habits we have habits with our family uh, we have a habit of as a family of having breakfast together on sunday we have a habit as a family of eating dinners together as much as possible instead of separately and these are all habits and traditions that we've built over time that strengthen and build a more resilient marriage and a more resilient family. So there's a relationship between the marriage, the covenant, and the family, and the, the waves of influence that come out of that, that relationship. And the, we continue to develop and evolve habits, both as individuals and as a couple. And so the marriage has new depth and breadth to it as a result. 
So I'm going to suggest to you that if your marriage is not as intimate as you would like it to be, or if the marriage, if you don't feel it is growing or developing resilience as you would like it to, that you start to take a look at these four quadrants. Where are you on the self-knowledge, self-acceptance, and marital knowledge, marital acceptance, and knowledge and acceptance of the other person quadrant? Where are you on the recognizing your unique skills and abilities, what makes you unique, and where are you on recognizing your partner's uniqueness? Let me just expand on that a little before I go to the other two. Part of that uniqueness, which I didn't explore in detail also is, what are the functions and dysfunctions that you both learned from your families? Is there a history of divorce in either of your families? Is there a history of verbal abuse in your families? Is there a history of physical abuse in your families? Is there a history of sexual abuse in your families? Is there a history of, think of any dysfunction that you might be able to and, and look three generations back. You know, there's, a, there's an, a thing from the Torah or the Old Testament, depending on where you come from, about generational curses. And generational curses are actually real in the sense that if you look at three generations in your family, you'll see that if you had a great grandparent who was into infidelity, the chances are his children were impacted by that, which is your grandparents, and their children were impacted by that, which is your parents, and you in some way are impacted by that. Impacted either in being adamantly against infidelity and wanting to squash anyone who thinks if who even looks at another person or you might have some infidelity going on in yourself like just for an example so you in that um in that uniqueness what what makes you unique culturally family-wise genetically you want to look at for stuff like that in, now, where are you both, let's keep going, where are you both in the purpose and mission quadrant? Do you have a clear sense of purpose and mission in your life? Why you're here? What is it that drives you? What's your purpose on this planet? If, if, if you feel like this is fuzzy for you, then work on it because we all have a unique purpose and mission. My unique purpose and mission, as I receive it today, looking at my history and turning my liabilities into strengths is to help families build resilience. Because, and those resilience, by the way, they're built on traumas. You take a trauma and you can, by meeting the trauma, build resilience. You remember when I told you that my wife and I now have once a week breakfast, that is a piece of resilience that was built out of the trauma of COVID-19. Every trauma is, it's a small piece, but it's a piece. Every trauma is an opportunity to build strength. And so what are your unique strengths? And what are your spouse's unique strengths? What is their purpose and mission? And if they're not clear, maybe you're clear on what your purpose and mission is. Maybe you need to support them in getting greater clarity on what their purpose and mission is. And a purpose and mission is something that drives, is going to drive you through your whole life. So there's a statistic that shows that when people retire, they tend to die, I think it's within three years of retirement, something like that, because they lose their sense of purpose. But if you have a sense of purpose and mission that is deeper than your work, when you retire, you will still pursue that purpose and mission in whatever form it shows up for you. It's the thing that you are the unique solution for. And last of all, 
what habits are you building and what habits could you be building and be creative with this. I do a lot of work helping people in these four areas. Um, I invite you to contact me if you want some more information. Uh, I've, I've got some free courses I'm developing for people on this subject. It's rich at richinrelationship.com, R-I-C-H at R-I-C-H-I-N-R-E-L-A-T-I-O-N-S-H-I-P.com. Contact me when you're ready and best of luck with this.